right, that's good, Bex. Thank you. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Can you say amen? amen. Um, I want to um, say a couple of things before I... I'm going to just give you a short message tonight. Um, but what I want to say, first of all, is the Lord spoke to me very clearly yesterday. And what He said to me is that in this next season, the next stage of victory is coming for us. But what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take the night. The word that I heard the Lord say yesterday was, Take the night. Take the night and learn to rule and reign over the night. Now this is what I'm sensing. You know, as I pray at night for the members of the congregation, what I, what I sense is that people are oppressed by a number of different things at nighttime. Many people are oppressed by night terrors and, and fear and anxiety and confusion, relational difficulty, and it's stuff that only comes out at night. Many are plagued by temptation, and plagued by all kinds of different things, depression and anxiety, and I just sense all of these attacks coming against the body at night. It happens at night. And there's, there's some types of attacks of the enemy that you're only susceptible to in the wee hours of the night. And so the Lord said to me, you want victory for your congregation, you've got to take the night. If you want to see people come to full victory, take the night. And our objective in this next season is to transform the night from a season of oppression to a season, season of blessing. That is, so that you would no longer be terrified by the night. The night would no longer be characterized as a time and a context in which you're susceptible to all kinds of attacks of the enemy, but that the night would be a season of blessing. You can't wait for the night season because you find out that you're with the Lord and that He comes to meet with you every night and that He speaks to you every night and that you wake up every morning and go, man, I can't wait to tell you what God said to me last night. I can't wait to tell you what God did for me last night. Even individuals that have been plagued by bad dreams, God's going to transform your dreams into the playground where He comes to play with you every night, where He comes to meet with you and instead of saying, I had this terrible dream last night and I was tormented, you're going to say, I had this wonderful dream last night and this is what God showed me. This is what God revealed to me, God is going to begin to speak to you in the night. Remember it was at night when God came to Samuel and stood at the door of his room and said, Samuel, Samuel. Many of you are going to have those Samuel experiences in this next season, but this is what the Lord says. This is how we're going to take the night. There's only one way to take the night and ro rule over it and reign in it. It's to give it to God. How do you give the night to God? Well, you've got to change what you typically do at night. Instead of turning on the television and letting it drone on away and falling asleep to the television, you're going to have to get in your word and turn on some worship music and get in your Bible and spend some time in prayer. This is how we're going to do it. I'm going to have a prayer meeting at my house from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. every single night between now and the time that the team comes home. And we'll see what happens after that. But at least for these next week and a half, I'm going to have a prayer meeting every night in my house from 10 p.m. to 11 a.m., and it's going to be broadcast, live-streamed on our website. So here's how you join me in that prayer meeting. You get on, on your web, you open up your, your, your computer, get on the website, go to livehope.us, and click Media. And go to the media page, and I'll be there praying from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. every night. I want you to join me in prayer. The members of my household are going to join in in prayer. And if any of you so happen to want to come up from 10 to 11 at night and pray, you're welcome to come to my home from 10 to 11 at night every night between now and the time the team comes. We are going to be in prayer, and we're going to be in worship, and we're going to be in intercession. And this is, this is what it's going to do. It's going to do two things. Number one, we are going to continue to break down walls for that team. We're going to push them through. The thing is, what happens over there on the other side of the world is in large part due to what happens right here at home. 
if we are not praying and pressing through, and that's why we keep saying continually that it's a body movement. I know Joseph Sevier, that's his word. It's a body movement, right? And what, when, we, when he says it's a body movement, what he means is when one of us goes, we all go. So when our team goes to Indonesia, all of us are in Indonesia right now. And it is our responsibility to wage warfare on behalf of our team and to pave the way, to prepare the way of the Lord so that they have nothing but constant victory and they come home amazed. I remember when my wife went to Paraguay and God did more in Paraguay on that trip through our team than my wife had ever seen in any trip before in her life. And when she got back, she told me the stories. I was in awe of the miracles and the healings and the deliverance and the power of God and hundreds of salvations. They went into a public school and preached and 400 children rushed the, the, the front to give their lives to Jesus Christ. They had it on video. I mean, it was just amazing. In a public school, I believe that this trip is going to trump that trip. It's going to make that trip look like small stuff. But we cannot relax. We've got to keep pressing and reaching and believing that God is going to do a marvelous thing there. So every night from, 11, from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. and again every morning from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., it's going to be back on the live stream. I'm going to have a prayer meeting at my house, and I want us all to join in for those two hours a day. Now, some of, us have, some of us in this room have never prayed two hours in one day before in our entire lives. This is going to take you to another level, to a whole nother level. And some of you have said, man, I wish I had a more robust prayer life, but I just need somebody to pray with. How's this? I'll pray with you. I'll be your prayer partner for two hours a day. Join me at lifehope.us on the media page. And I sent an email out to the whole church. I'm announcing it. There's people watching, and there's going to be people joining us all over the world via our website, and we're going to pray. We switched to a new uh, live streaming host today. We switched to Ustream because it gives us a more, much clearer picture, and so it's going to be a lot clearer, and it's going to be just a lot better, and so we're going to have a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. We're going to take the night. Amen? Take the night. Um, I want to talk to you tonight. I'm, I'm switching now. I'm preaching now, okay? Share a short word with you, and then we're going to dismiss. I'm not going to keep you here too long. I've got to get home and get ready for that prayer meeting. I start tonight. I want to talk to you tonight. I want to ask you a question as we begin. Here's the question. What is the primary mode of God's ministry in the world? What is the primary mode of God's ministry to us? What is the primary way in which God ministers? If you had to define the ministry of God in one word, what would that word be? May I suggest to you that the primary mode of God's ministry to us is His presence. He is the God who is present. Moses at the burning bush, he says, What is your name? Who are you? What if Pharaoh asked me what God said, Let my people go? And he said, You tell Pharaoh, I am. My name is I am. When he says I am, he says, I am with you. I am present. In Isaiah 7.14, it speaks of this messianic prophecy, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. If there is one fundamental truth upon which the gospel is built, it is the truth that God is with us. 
God is present. And that truth of the gospel is not dependent upon our experience. It's not dependent upon the outcome of our lives. It's not even dependent upon our actions. God is with us. God is present. And that is the gospel. When Jesus said the time has come, the kingdom of God is here, he meant God is present. Jesus, the last thing he said to his disciples is, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And he told them in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back to receive you. So he says, the end of it all is going to be, you're going to be with me. And you're going to be with me in eternity. But I'm going to leave, but you're going to be with me in eternity. I'm going to prepare a place. But then he said, but I will not leave you orphans. Even when I go, I'm not going to leave you orphans. But I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit of truth, and He's going to abide with you forever. The world can't see Him, but you can see Him. The world can't receive Him, but you can receive Him. He's the Spirit of truth. And what the Holy Spirit does is He comes to bring to us the indwelling, manifest presence of Jesus Christ for all time, and eternity. That is, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God became present to you in a new way, and that presence of God indwelling your life never leaves you. He's always with you. you even if you wake up and you don't feel his, his presence, He hasn't left. He said He will abide with you forever. And so the primary mode of God's presence to us is, the primary mode of God's ministry to us is in His presence. And that means that if you and I are going to minister to anyone else, and if we're going to minister the way Jesus ministered, we have to learn how to be present. The primary mode of your ministry can't be your words. If so, you'll feel like you always have to speak. You ever been around somebody that just always had to talk? They were always saying something to you? Always ministering? Always had a prophetic voice? Can't we just... Man, I... Can't we just hang out sometimes? Do you always have to talk? Sometimes your presence ministers more powerfully than anything else. When somebody's sick and in the hospital, they don't necessarily need you to say anything to them. You can just go sit next to them. Do you know that? If you learn the ministry of presence, you will learn how to minister the way God ministers. God's Word is secondary to His presence because He's not always speaking. Sometimes God is silent. We've all experienced the silence of God. You go into your prayer closet and sometimes you don't hear God saying nothing. I mean, you roll out your 20 questions and you ask Him all your questions and He's not saying nothing, but He's just present. I never understood it. I remember, I remember when I used to minister, and I remember there would be times where I'd feel the power of God come strong. I'd be praying for a sick person, and the power of God would come strong. I mean, there would just be a strong presence of God, a mighty, and I'd know that they were healed. Oh, you are healed. I know it. Why? Because I felt the power of God, right? And I declared it. You're healed. And they went home still sick. And I couldn't figure out, God, why would you manifest your presence like that and not actually do the thing? But do you see the fallacy of my thinking? In the fallacy of my thinking, I assumed that when God is present, it, it's always to do something. God's presence is not always for the purpose of doing something. Sometimes He's just present. 
Sometimes He comes, and He comes in power, and He comes in glory, and He comes in might, not to fix anything, just to let you know that I'm with you. You say, well, I'm walking through this river in God's presence suddenly. That means I'm going to come out of the river. No, you're not. He said, when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. He didn't say you wouldn't walk through the waters. He said, I'll be with you. When you walk through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. He, he said, when? Because it's, it's guaranteed. You're going to walk through water and rivers and fires. And if you haven't, Get ready. It's coming. We're not guaranteed deliverance from every storm. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood before Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, we don't have to be careful how we respond to you, king. Our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. They had no guarantee that he was going to deliver them. And they knew they didn't have a guarantee. He may not change the situation, but He's still going to be with us. And even if we burn in the fire, there's going to be a fourth man walking in it with us. Because the one thing we're guaranteed is that God is present. God is with us. Now, I want you to follow me. Okay? Are you with me? Presence is a temporal phenomenon. Presence is a temporal phenomenon. In order to be present, you have to live in the now. Presence is always now. Here and now go together. You can't be here later. Or here then. You've got to be here now. If you're here later and I'm here now, you're not present. Even if we were at the same place, we weren't there at the same time. Presence is a temporal phenomenon. The power of the devil, the work of the devil, is always to pull you out of the present and to drag you either back into the past or forward into the future. The devil desires to pull you out of the present and to either drag you out of the past or forward into the future, and sometimes he can do both at the same time. The only place you aren't is in the now. And he has two primary weapons, these trans-temporal weapons of the enemy. Number one, shame. And number two, fear. Shame is the way in which Satan drags you out of the present and into the past. Shame causes you to relive the past. The past that's gone, because whenever you're feeling shame, you're feeling shame for something that doesn't even exist anymore. It's not even real anymore. It's not in your present. It's in your past, but you still feel shame for it. And the reason you feel shame for it is because you're still living in it. I left it way back there, and every time I remember it, I run all the way back to it, and I stand there, and I experience it all over again. Shame causes you to relive your past. It's a time machine pulls up next to you and the devil opens the door and says, welcome to this hot tub time machine called shame. Come on in. And if you take the bait and step into that time machine, you'll find yourself back in 1976 where you broke that lamp. 
You'll find yourself back in 1988 when you said that thing to that person and you wish you hadn't said that. You'll find yourself in your 80s and 90s and still talking about what happened when you were 15 years old. Time is not the great healer. Jesus is the great healer. But in order to encounter the great healer, you will only encounter him in the now. Because God is not living in the past, and he's not living in the future. He lives in the now, because he's present. And that's why the Bible says there is now no condemnation. I love the fact that they put the word now in there. There's now no condemnation. If you go back and live in your past, there's some condemnation there. But if you live in the now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not there. It's been buried under the blood of Jesus. God's omnipotence is the power of forgetfulness. God is the only being in the universe who has the power to forget. God can say, I'm not going to remember that anymore. He said, I will remember their lawless deeds no more. It's a decision he makes. He says, I will call to mind their I will no longer call to mind their iniquities, and I will remember their lawless deeds no more. He says, I, I just won't remember. I, I God is the only being who has the power to say that and do it. You know, we say forgive and forget. We really can't do that, can we? Have you ever forgot? And somebody said to you, well, you must not have forgotten that. No, I didn't forget it. I mean, I've forgiven you, but if forgetfulness is a prerequisite for forgiveness, then I've never forgiven anybody. Because I can't forget. I still remember it. But forgiveness is not the absence of memory. It's memory without vengeance. Dr. Kirby Clement said that. It's memory without vengeance. But God takes it a step further. He doesn't even remember it so that if you continue to confess sin that God's already forgiven you for, He doesn't know what you're talking about. Say, God, I'm sorry for this. And He goes, what? You know what I did back then? He goes, I don't remember that. Holy Spirit, do you remember that? Because Jesus, let's put our heads together and see if we can come up with something because I'm drawing a blank. I see a space in my knowledge bank where something used to exist, but nothing occupies that because I've chosen to forget it. We forget without choosing. We forget stuff that we would rather remember. But God has the power to remember when he says, I remember, nothing can make him forget. But when he says, I forget, nothing can make him remember. Amen. So in order to live in the now, you've got to live free of shame. You've got to reject it. You've got to rebuke it. Shame will constantly cause you to relive your past. Yesterday's gone. You can't get it back. It's over. Five minutes ago is gone. One second ago is gone. You can't take back one second ago. And here's the thing about shame. You say, but it's my fault. I hear people say that all the time, but it was my fault. Of course it was your fault. <laughs> Whose fault did you think it was? Was it somebody else's fault? Yes, it was your I, Of course it was your fault. 
I said, no, but I'm supposed to feel something about that because it was my fault. Of course. That's what Jesus died for. He died for everything that was your fault. Everything that I've done wrong in my life was my fault. I can't blame it on anybody else. It's my fault. But He died for my fault. He took my fault on Himself and nailed my fault to the cross and said, It is finished. And the moment He said, It is finished, my fault was covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And now what I say is, You are my righteousness. I've exchanged my fault for Yahweh, my righteousness. There's no shame. You've got to stop living in shame. Because if you relive the things of the past, then you will redo the things of the past. And here's what happens. Believers get caught in a trap of reliving in shame the things of the past, and then they end up redoing the things of the past, which causes more shame which causes them to relive the things of the past, which causes them to redo the things of the past, at some point you've got to stop and say, that's the past. That's the past. That's over and done with. I'm not going to carry shame about this. I'm going to take it to the throne of Jesus Christ. I'm going to lay it there at the foot of the cross. I'm going to let the blood of Christ cover it, and I'm going to get up and say, I am righteous because of Him. No shame. You see, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it says, and they were naked and not ashamed. No shame. Completely exposed, completely transparent, completely open, with nothing to hide, and no shame. fact of the matter is that believers in Jesus Christ are so plagued by shame Sometimes shame keeps us from even coming to church. We use the excuse, I'm busy. What we really mean is, I'm ashamed. Because I'm ashamed of what I've been walking in in the last week. So I'm just going to skip this Sunday because I don't want to sit in the congregation and let the Word of God hit me so hard that I feel convicted. I might actually get right. And God forbid that that should happen. We're still hiding behind the bush. Shame gives birth to fear. Shame and fear are actually twins. But they are polar opposites temporally. Because where shame drags you back into the past, fear drags you forward into the future. Shame causes you to relive what's already past. Fear causes you to pre-live that which does not yet even exist. Fear is prophetic suffering because it empowers you to experience now that which does not yet exist and may or may not actually come into being. How many times if you just keep a, a log from now on of things that cause you fear that actually turn out not to even happen? If you could just keep a log and, and determine the percentages and look back over a year and say, over the past year, 78% of the things I was afraid of actually didn't even happen. I spent, I wasted so much time being afraid of things that didn't even exist. 
And here's the problem. We have no fear of God, but we have great fear of non-existent things. We spend time worrying about things that don't even exist. Now that is what I call Christian atheism. Because if you believe God exists and you have to stand before Him one day, the natural result is the fear of the Lord. But we don't feel any anxiety about having to stand before God, but we tremble when there's a rumor that my job may be laying folks off next month. <laughs> doesn't even exist yet. It's just a rumor. But all you hear is a rumor. And people say, well, I just have trouble believing anything. You believe all kinds of stuff. Oh, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, I'm going to get sick. Oh, I'm going to lose my house. Oh, I'm going to lose everything. Oh, nobody likes me. Oh, everything's falling apart. Oh, oh, you're, you believe ever. You've got great faith. You've got faith to call those things which are not as though they were. <laughs> and sometimes we're so busy fearing and being shamed that we don't see the ones who are standing right in front of our face. You ever had somebody riddled with shame try to minister to you? Forget it. They're too busy hurting for themselves to hurt for you. They can't hear from God for you. They're still trying to get a word for themselves. You ever had somebody riddled with fear? When you see somebody riddled with fear, do you feel like, can you pray for me? <laughs> you even want them to pray for you? You could be at the worst place in your life, but you walk in and see somebody more fe fearful than you, and you say, Lord, just touch him right now. Strengthen him, right? Your heart just goes out to them. How many times did the Lord say to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Do not fear. And it is a command. Matthew 6.29, do not worry. Do not worry. It's more than a command. It's emphatic future negation. In the Greek, the words, me un merimnesete legontes, do not worry, saying. Me is a negation, it means not. Un is another negation, it means not. A double negative in the Greek does not equal a positive. Putting two negatives together in Greek grammar makes it emphatic. Makes it future, perpetual, for all time and eternity. It's an emphatic future negation. Jesus says, don't you dare even think about worrying. Even the command do not commit adultery is not in the grammar as emphatic as the command do not worry. But we see do not worry as a suggestion. When was the last time you read that and said, I am commanded not to worry? God commanded me not to worry. He, he issued a command. You know why God commands you not to worry? Because He wants you to be present. He wants you to be present because God is the God who is present. says He is the God who is in Revelation 4, 8. He said He is the God who was and is 
and is to come. What does that mean? It means whether you go way back into the past or way into the future or now, he's present. It means back in the day he was present with Israel, but he wasn't dwelling in the future. And he wasn't dwelling in the past. He lives in the now. God is a now God. He's a right now God. He's present and it means that his attention is not drawn backward or forward when he's with you. He gives you his undivided attention because he's with you right now. He's the God who looks you in the eye and says, I'm right here and I'm not going anywhere. You ever talk to somebody and you were thinking in the back of your head, with your face you're smiling, but in your head you're thinking, how do I get out of this conversation? i got stuff to do. God's never done that. Even with the most annoying person you know. God looks them right in the eye and says, I'm right here. I'm right here. And you don't annoy me. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. Ever. My attention will not be drawn away from you for a moment, not for a second. I'm present. I'm with you. You know what's more tragic than the fact that we have trouble being present with God when He's being present with each other? Is we're not even present with God. How many times have you gone into your prayer closet to pray and spent the whole time dreaming about what you want to happen when you come out of it? Or remembering what happened before you came into it. And we wonder why when we go into Scripture, we don't draw out life. It's because we're not present with God in that moment. We're so busy. We go, oh, Father, I thank you. Ooh, I should have done the laundry yesterday. Man. Father, I thank you. Oh, Lord, the test I have tomorrow. Being present with God starts with faith. Faith is what cuts through fear and shame. If I'm walking in fear and shame, I can't be walking in faith at the same time. Why? Because faith fixes everything? No, because faith believes that it's all in the hand of God. Even everything I've messed up and everything that's not going right and things I'm not handling well, they're all in God's hand. God is holding all of them right now. And so I can come and be present with God and not worry about what happened before it or what's going to happen after it. I'm not going to worry in God's presence. I'm not going to be ashamed in God's presence. I'm not going to fear in God's presence. I'm going to live in the now. Why? Because He's with me right now and He holds my past in one hand and holds my future in the other and holds me in the palm of His hand. And He holds me because He holds my past, my present, and my future. I can be fully present with Him and know that my past is taken care of and my future is already taken care of as well. He holds it. Faith. Yes. If you're waiting for a time in your life when everything is hunky-dory, when you've crossed every T and dotted every I, when there's absolutely nothing that you shouldn't have done, you will never spend a moment with the Lord in your life. Because there's always something that you should have done. And always something that you messed up. If you want to wait till a time when you don't have anything pressing tomorrow, you'll never spend any time with God. But what God is looking for is our presence. 
He wants us to be present with Him. And if we learn how to be present with Him, then we learn how to give back to Him the ministry that He gives to us. He gives us the ministry of His presence. You know what He wants from us? Not primarily our money and our time like service, come and you know, work in the church or our evangelism, go out into the world. I mean, yeah, that stuff's good too. He wants that too. But you know what He wants more than that? wants to be with us. That's why any parent has a child. For them to be present. You know, when your kids grow up and they just don't come home anymore, they don't call you anymore, they don't make time for you anymore, they don't seem to care about you anymore, that's a terrible place to be. And that's how the father feels with so many of his children. But that will not be said of us at Living Hope Christian Center. We're going to learn how to be present with the Father and how to be present with one another. Bow your heads. Bless your people with peace. Bless your people with faith, with hope, and with love. You're teaching us how to be present. Right now, I just rebuke fear and shame. And I want everybody just for a few moments just in your personal time with the Lord right now, to just drive fear and shame out of your life. I want you just to open your mouth right now and just command it to leave. I want you to make a decision that you'll never walk in it again. You will never walk in it again. It has no place in your life. It is never from the Lord. It is never from the Lord. Come on, drive it out right now. Drive it out. Drive it out. Some of you wake up in the morning and feel like failures. That's shame. If you ever feel like a failure, you're attacked by shame. Make a decision. You're not going to entertain that lie of the devil. No such thing as a child of God who's a failure. Some of you wake up in the morning and you feel worthless. That's shame. That's shame. It's from the devil. It is not from the Lord. It is from the devil. You just rebuke that right now. Command it to leave your life. Make a decision. You're not going to entertain it ever. You're done with it. Some of you can't sleep at night because you're overwhelmed with what you've got to do tomorrow. That's fear. God has not given you a spirit of bondage again to fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. The next time you're overwhelmed at night because you're thinking about what you've got to do tomorrow, I want you to rise up in your spirit and begin to declare, I'm going to reign over all of this. It is under my feet. I'm going to take dominion tomorrow. Get on your knees and declare it until the power of God overwhelms you and then sleep like a baby and wake up and reign. Come on, begin to declare it right now. Break it, break it, break it. You're not going to have fellowship with the power of shame 
or the power of fear. You're not going to have any fellowship with it. In the name of Jesus, it is broken from over your life. It has no place in you. It has no place in you. The blood of Jesus Christ has spoken. The blood of Jesus Christ. It's not the same thing as just deciding not to feel bad anymore. It's deciding to believe that the blood of Jesus is covering it. It's covered with the blood of Jesus. It's covered with the blood of Jesus. It's covered with the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, declare it right now. Some of you go home and you live in a dark place. You're not going to live in that dark place anymore. The light is coming to your dark place. I decree that light is coming to your dark place. The God who called, commanded light to shine out of darkness is commanding the glory of Jesus Christ to shine in the dark places of your life. I declare that the light is coming into your darkness right now. You have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Come on, stand up right now. Begin to declare it. Begin to declare it. You're going to reign over it right now. You're going to reign over it. Come on, open your mouth and declare it right now. You are reigning over these powers of darkness. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, Lord, the light has come. I hear the Lord saying, let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light. You say, there's no good thing in that place. He doesn't need there to be a good thing. He calls light to shine out of darkness. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I speak your blessing over your people. I feel it rising up right now. Many of you, you feel it rising up on the inside of you. That's what I wanted to sense in the Spirit, that rising up. That rising up on the inside of you. That's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the roar of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You just let that rise up on the inside of you. I want you to begin to roar. I want you to begin to rage in the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to begin to discover that the devil has no power over you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for it, Father. Father, I thank you that it is done. I thank you that it is done. And I say that these sons and daughters of yours, they will reign. They will reign in the authority of Jesus Christ. And no yoke of oppression will have any power over their lives. In Jesus' name, I break every yoke of oppression. And I command freedom. I command you to be free. I command you to be free. Nothing can bind you. Nothing can hold you captive. 
Nothing can hinder your liberty. I declare liberty. I declare liberty. I declare freedom in Jesus' name. And you will never doubt that God is with you. Ever. You will know that God is with you. That He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Jesus. We give you all the praise and glory in your precious name. Amen.